So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Hi, MC. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. Um, Just so the listeners know, MC is my new bestest friend in the (laughs) in the in the dark world of talking about our stuff. Uh, MC was one of the um, instructors, facilitators, teachers for my Lumia days in Essentials and talking about trauma. And this is a topic that is extremely near and dear to me. And um, considering my own experiences and where I want to work with other people as a coach. And MC has been a fantastic resource and somebody that I am honored to, in the few conversations we have, to have a little apprentice experience. And oh, so, thank you. MC, your bona fides. Tell I... people what I already know. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I am a PhD trauma researcher, uh, professor, and life coach, and I am in the space of trauma. So I've been researching trauma since 2009, and I've written, um, my third book is about to come out in March. And um, my whole goal of life is to kind of, you know, right as Paul said, is to meet people in the dark. Um, At my first teaching job, they nicknamed me Dr. Sunshine because (laughs) I was studying grief, mourning, and then um, trauma. And then, uh, you know, they were like, what's next? (laughs) So that's a perfect um, intro. And I'm just a guy, a former uh, corporate creative um, who had a tremendously visible uh, fall from grace five years ago and worked my way back through various modalities of which coaching was a significant part of that therapy uh, plant medicine um, deliberate cold exposure a whole bunch of things that um, brought me to the point where i am today that i'm very proud to say is in the company of people like mc and john kim so um so we're going to talk about and staying in line with John's book, Single on Purpose, mm-hmm. how you how you bring our darker angels, our deep dark, our trauma to a new relationship. How do you introduce mm-hmm. that? And um, MC, I'll leave it to you. But we were also going to do an icebreaker too. Yeah. You know, we're just <laughs> going to jump into the academic stuff and talking about this. And it looked like you had one loaded to it, for me. It did. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I actually now have a two-part one because I had one loaded, but then your intro gave me a second one, which is now okay. my my first part, which is bumping down what I had already is, why did you call yourself a regular guy? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you came in hot with like PhD and I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> I don't have those cards. I got a pair of sixes over here. Um, 
No, thank you for pointing that out. Um, Just a little forced forced humility. And um, so, yeah, you got me on that one. Cut it out, Paul. All right. (laughs) Note to everyone um, listening, don't do it. (laughs) Only because this is exactly what John would have done when I, because I have introduced, in fact, not that long ago, introduced myself similarly on his podcast and he did the exact same thing. So it's just coaching hazing. (laughs) Okay. I like that. All right. Okay. There was a second part. Second part. When you say bringing your darker angels to relationships, you have something in mind for you. What, what do you mean? Let's go to the deep dark. When this year, the conversation that is the most profound and on new year's Eve, I'll be thinking about it was on my own podcast where I came out as a bisexual man. Mm. And so before I was married, I made a pact with myself that every time I would start to develop a relationship with a woman and, you know, around second or third date, it was like, okay, here we go. This is who I am. I have had these experiences. Mm. That's what I considered my deep dark. That's what I considered my shame. Um, Mm. And it, it either resulted in, it was pretty binary. It either resulted in somebody going, Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's, that's interesting. I can roll with that. Or literally somebody picking up their purse and leaving the table. Mm. And so so it cause it causes it to get deeper. It causes it to get darker. It causes it to get yeah. shame filled and things like that. So I would have loved a conversation like this back then. Going, okay, what what are the tools? Who can I read? What can I listen mm-hmm. to when I'm about to tell somebody something? I mean, I know in several situations um, through friends that people have to, you know, reveal a medical status or condition Mm -hmm. or something that that they hold a lot of shame around or you know something that happened to them socially i i don't know i mean there's there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of things that we just like wrap in this disgusting candy shell of Mm -hmm. shame and you know and darkness so that's where i lean on you for that is like okay how do we do that on the second and third date going okay this is this is what i got yeah it's heartbreaking that you even had to be in that headspace to think about that, right? Is this going to happen? And then it sounds like you had the negative reinforcement of your worst fear actually coming true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Where you're I like, did no, several I, times, yeah. Yeah, like I actually, I should be ashamed, which is completely false. Yeah. And in all fairness, I've had situations put on me where I've had to make the call and go, yeah, I can't go through with this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was... I remember in my 20s, there was a young lady that her dad had a significant criminal record. Mm. And it was still, there was still residue, you know, pouring over. So that was going to be an investment on my part. And I had to think about it and go, okay, I just, I can't take this on. And it's Mm. always kind of haunted me. I'm like, well, that was that compassionate, you know? Wow. Mm. Nice guy. But yeah, no, I, I went for the door myself. Oh, and that's such a, um, thank you for sharing that piece. Cause I think that's such a, that's, that's the missing piece is that we're, we are all potentially in that position where you're sitting across the table thinking, I don't know if I can deal with this and then what, right? How do I, is there a compassionate way to 
you know, express that to draw that boundary without shaming the other person, you know? Yeah. And I believe there is, but we don't, if we don't talk about it, then we can't get there. What is the way that you, you know, slide that cocktail napkin across the table and bring it out? Is, I mean, there's no hard, fast rules. There's nothing. It's just based on each situation. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes I worry about in this, in, in the current sort of minefield of culture that we're living in right now, we, it's, it's helpful to remind ourselves that it's okay to have preferences and lines. You mm-hmm. don't have to stay with somebody if you're in, uncomfortable with something that's not going to, that you know is not going to work for you. So in your situation, you're going to encounter people that are not comfortable being in a relationship with someone who's bisexual. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they should like push against that and conquer it. Right. But they can handle it with care and the same in, in the situation with, you know, the woman that you mentioned where you're like, wow, this is kind of a deal breaker. This, this, this goes against my values. Um, how can I push against this in a way that doesn't shame her? Yeah. And I mean, the the rocks lying out in the horizon on that, if you try to muscle through it, is right. resentment and right. contempt exactly. and all that right. stuff that mm-hmm. they put you in this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not even it's not even a fact of it's really self-examination. It's like, what are you yeah. like you said, what are your lines? Right. And how do you and communicate even, them without without making the other person feel like their their thing is in a, in a disgusting candy shell, as you said? Yeah. And you also may not even know your lines until you're forced to step up yeah, to them too, right? Right, yeah. right, right. And I yeah. imagine that was probably the case with the with the woman you mentioned, right? You probably yeah. never thought of that. I'd never <laughs> thought about it. I'd never even, I, you know, even the the crimes that were involved were 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 criminal crimes. They weren't mm-hmm. sex related. They weren't anything that had shame. It was just like you know white collar crime and i'm like mm. wow okay never thought i'd be here you know sitting across and this young lady man what a burden she carries and the immediate response was compassion like i wanted to hold her and say oh my god mm. i'm so sorry that you have to deal with this every day but I'm, and then my head went can i do this 365 right. for an indeterminate amount of time right. going forward right. it's like that right. yeah that's why tapped out and so I think like when we, the, the thing, the image that comes to mind is like this, how do, can I dance with this thing, this unexpected thing that just got, that just got put onto the table? Can I dance with it? And if not, then how can I tap out in a way that allows the other person their dignity? Yeah. Right. Like putting it in That's... into, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. That's, that's a beautiful way of putting it is like, you know, the, the, that's how you can show compassion is to respect yeah. that person's dignity and, and try to be as upfront mm-hmm. and honest as possible. And I bet. Forced you... into... No, ahead. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I bet, you know, even knowing you just a little bit that I do, that you didn't pick up your purse and walk away. Right. That you handled yeah. it with, even though I can sense like a little shame around it, that you handled it with grace yeah she may god forbid she's listening to this and they have a different take on the whole thing but <laughs> right, um right. yeah and i think that social media makes it right it, it wasn't the case mm-hmm. back then but i think now we see we see these acts of 
unbelievable charity and compassion. And, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is the, the dad who would go, that would be in marathons with the son in yes. the stroller who I think had MS, you know, in, and I mean, in Boston. Yes. I yeah. Can't remember his name, but yep. Yep. So you see that and you're like, well, geez, I mean, what's wrong with me? Why can't I step up to the plate and, you know, show that kind of, you know, and there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of peer pressure to be the better person now. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's super important to distinguish between, oh, Hoyt is their name. Um, distinguish between when you're going above and beyond simply to be the virtuous person and when you're going above and beyond from a place of love, right? Because there are yeah. these stories in, in relationships where, where folks are really do have to grapple with something that they would have previously said was a deal breaker. And they decide to, to do the marathon thing, right. To go above and beyond, but from a place of love, not from a place of, I'm going to, Oh, goody. I'm going to be able to put this on social media and look like a good guy, you know? Yeah. So the takeaway is, is to treat the person with dignity, come in Mm -hmm. with compassion and know, and know your red lines. Mm-hmm. And, and dance to, with them, I think. Like, dance. because you we can all like come up with our lists. We love to do this. This is what I need in a relationship. This is what I won't take in a relationship. But when you're actually face to face with another human being with a heart right in front of you, like ask yourself the question: is this really a preference? Can I dance with this? Is this something that I can entertain? before because i think sometimes we just cut it cut it off before it's even before that's clear yeah or force ourselves to expand and yeah right yeah and then end up in resentment which is relationship death for sure yeah so the kind of the sequel to this is the two people coming that have Mm -hmm. as i called it competitive scars And you and I had had an earlier conversations. The whole reason that I wanted to do this was you could speak to, as I called it, and I've heard a lot of people call that, and I would love for this conversation to kind of put it to bed for whoever is listening, is the whole big T, little T trauma kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. I said, okay, MC, you can talk about big T trauma, um, you know, sexual violence, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I can do little T trauma, which is just somebody completely falling apart, abusing alcohol, you know, disaffected and Mm. unconnected from everything. And then you corrected me and I'd love for you to correct me again on that. Yes. So, um, big T, little T trauma is one of these, one of these distinctions that has gotten sort of like stolen from the clinical world where, where it has a purpose and a history, which I can explain in a second. And then just like twisted in social media and all over the internet into something that it isn't. And I wish I could I actually have a chapter in the book that's just called the, t- the title is there is no big T little T trauma, because we know on a neurobiological perspective that the, the brain and the body do not distinguish between types of trauma. In other words, there's no hierarchy. Your brain's not like, oh, this is just like a a minor trauma. I'm going to put it over here. And this is a major trauma. Like that's not the brain, the the brain structures that are responding in the moment are not sophisticated enough to do that. 
And so we, we need to understand that whatever the brain experiences as significantly overwhelming to turn on its emergency defense mechanisms is trauma. So we don't, we shouldn't, we have to stop defining trauma by the type of event. So, so all that's over here. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, and I was just going to say, I think you put it in one of your recent posts that those emergency, that those reactions are, are based in strength. Yes. It's not based in weakness. It's your body, you know, throwing up this defense mechanism to protect the suit of armor, you know, mm -hmm. neurologically to protect you. Totally. Because it has to, because it, it thinks that, that you are in mortal danger and it's not going to differentiate between, you know, your house is on fire and, you know, your partner might leave. It doesn't, it doesn't register. And this is all, all amygdala limbic mm -hmm. system. And then frontal cortex is the thing that then tries to process it and then gets scrambled. Yeah. Right. And here's, okay. yep. And here's the thing really quickly that, that your brain operates like a, like an old house with, with circuitry that can't be on at the same time. So like in an old house, you have your, you can't like run your hairdryer and your microwave at the same time or the fuse blows. The same thing happens mm -hmm. in your brain. So when your amygdala, which is the, 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 the alarm system, right? The fire alarm is, is taking up tons of energy. It turns, it pulls that energy away from the prefrontal cortex and a bunch of other brain structures, the hippocampus, other things, which means that your rational processing isn't really online. And so there isn't a discussion where your prefrontal cortex is able to say, Hey, it's just an argument with your partner. It's probably going to be okay. Let's give it a couple of days and we'll figure out a way out, right? Your prefrontal cortex is not online. And so all you are is alarm. Yeah. So, so yeah. that takes us to, you know, let's just set up a scenario. It's like two people been dating, mm -hmm. you know, fresh relationship. One is a survivor of sexual abuse from childhood. Mm -hmm. The other one has had a mom who did white wine too much four nights a week for their mm -hmm. entire life. And one death by a thousand cuts and one was a moment seared in time. Mm -hmm. And we've just determined that no difference once you get down to that, that cellular level and that, mm -hmm. that neurological level. And so that, that competitive scar thing, it's like, yeah. well, okay, yeah, that's great, but your mom's still alive and this is that, and you know, and she just drank too much big deal. Look at me or mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. Is totally. that common? So common. This is what I see probably the most, the most often in couples. There's like a couple of themes that come out when I, when I work with couples and this is one of the most common ones. And then, so just to like, also, by the way, I love the moment seared in time. I'm going to be thinking about that all day, just that language that you used, because that is what, what it's like, right? It's like you, you throw the steak on the super hot stove and then there's, there, you yeah. know, there's that skin. Um, So when Francine Shapiro, who's the founder of EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a, a very, um, has gotten a lot bigger. It's a common modality to work with trauma. When she was developing and writing her textbook on trauma, she, that, that modality was designed for what we call big T traumas, which are, you know, the, the moment seared in time, that one instance of sexual abuse that's very distinct. And, um, 
the way that EMDR works is that it's sort of it's sort of manual manipulation of your prefrontal cortex so that you can process the trauma that you didn't get to process in the moment. And it uses bilateral stimulation to do that. So it kind of forces your prefrontal cortex online so you can process what didn't get processed. Um, so she developed that modality. They were using it really successfully for these capital T traumas, these kind of singular events that that were widely recognized clinically as traumatic. In her textbook, she was like, hey, I think we should try this for the things that aren't labeled trauma by clinicians, like bullying. Because at the time when she was writing, the definition of trauma in the clinical world were was anything that lied outside the norm. And so sexual assault, we thought at the time, was outside the norm. Um, bullying, on the other hand, in, in grade school, was was well within the norm. And so they weren't using EMDR to to work with those kinds of things. But she was like, look, I feel like the symptoms are the same. And I think this modality would work. So she was trying to say that capital T and lowercase t traumas are the same and that EMDR would work similarly, which it does. And for some reason that got twisted into this big T traumas are legitimate and, and lowercase t traumas are lesser. And that's just, that's wrong on every level. It's wrong from the clinical level. It's, it's wrong from the neurobiological level. It's just not true. But then what happens is because we have that societal narrative, I'll have a couple that comes in and it's actually usually kind of the other way where it's like the person who had neglect, which is what you're describing when you're saying like mom, you know, mom is, is a box and a half of wine in by 7 PM. That's neglect yeah. and, and out of control. That's substance abuse in the home. That person will say, my trauma is not real because it's yeah. lowercase t. She never hit me. I didn't have sexual assault. My partner's trauma is real. And they're using that to shame themselves, which gets in the way of healing. And it also does happen the other way, as you mentioned, where the person will say, well, I have capital T trauma. I have a sexual assault. This person just has, I mean, yeah, their mom was still alive. What's your problem? You can work it out with them. Um, and it's just like, could we, could we, <laughs> Could we not, right? Like, could we not create that hierarchy and compare traumas? Could we come together and and say, my trauma is different than yours, but we both know what it's like to feel trapped and out of control. And how is that then taking hold in the way that we are in relationship to one another? And how is that potentially a problem? And how can we how can we avoid those pitfalls and also potentially heal? Because the thing about trauma is that like this is there's this double edged sword or catch 22, I'm not sure the best phrase is that we are harmed by other people and healed by other people. Mm. Wow. And so the, the key is recognizing that pathology is two people coming together going, look, same mm -hmm. currency, same, yeah. same monetary exchange here. Yes. Yes. Let's get a Let's get a third party to, yes, I love that. Yep. So, to, to sort this out. Mm-hmm. Because that's yeah. that's really the most effective way is just getting a third party, getting somebody, getting a yeah. therapist that that understands mm -hmm. the and that there is no distinction. Right. Right. Yeah. And to figure out who can kind of suss out, like, okay, here's here's where the trigger is, here's what's behind it, here's how you're taking that out on your partner. And then again, like I didn't mean to do this, but this this idea of like dancing with it. How do we dance with it? How do we yeah. if these are the things that are present, what do we, how do we, how do we navigate, you know? I, you know, 
bringing my personal experience into this and uh, and I'm going to talk about it. I'm, I'm yeah. going to do one of these on ayahuasca and, um, mm-hmm. and plant medicine. Yeah. Um, I did three, three ceremonies and each journey, there was always this lingering presence going, yeah, this is great. You're doing some great work, but until you deal with this, you know, really doesn't matter. There was always that feeling. And I'll never forget the last ceremony that I did. It, it, they all seemed to be like a trilogy, like all these mm. episodes working up to this finale was this incredibly horrible and painful ceremony. I was just a wreck. I mean, almost dehydrated. And I remember begging that whatever was going on in my head, okay, fine, please show me mm. the, the, the relative that touched me incorrectly. Why, why, what is this blockage? And that's where my mind went. And then when I asked that question, I got this feeling of, no, this is nothing big. It was just death by a thousand cuts. You had a, mm. you had a rough childhood. You were bullied. You had this, you had that, this, this came in. And then it was like, okay, let the child sleep. Fine. Let, oh, yeah. let the, and that's when I felt the peace, but I was, sh- but I was struck by the fact that in order for me to kind of like be let out of jail, I went to the big T trauma. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, there's gotta be something huge here. There's gotta be something revelatory that's coming around the corner. I can take it, hit me with yeah. it. And it never did. It was just the little T trauma, but man, it stuck. It burned just like everything yeah. else. So yeah, that's, that's what really made me cognizant of this differentiation and kind of how this has just been thrown around. I'm so glad you are sharing that story because I've had so many clients kind of similarly, um, not so many clients. I've had a handful of clients have, have kind of a, a, a rough go with plant medicine because they're going into it with that framework. Yeah. Of what I have to find, I have, we have this like misconception that we've got to go digging for what was the big legitimate thing that made me broken. Yeah. And there's two things wrong with that, right? Like number one, it was probably death by a thousand cuts, which you're then going to have shame about to peel away. And then the other thing is that you're not broken. Yeah. And so you're coming into that that inquiry with judgment, which makes it stop being an inquiry at all. Yeah. It's, I I call it this aspirational bias. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's, let's go this. I'm electing to go to the deep dark. So show me. And then you read, and then there's all these anecdotal stories of people coming out the other side, like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. they, you know, they sat in their own sick for two days and then came out reborn, which is Mm -hmm. purely apocryphal and almost mythological because the work begins with integration after the ceremony. So it it has nothing to do with the plant medicine other than the fact that that is just a facilitator and just kind of the communal experience. But man, did your balls get busted, you know, week two on a subway or in a commute to work where it comes back and you're like, okay, I need to work through this. And that's where you need somebody who specializes in plant medicine integration. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I'm so glad you're saying that. I I think that that we need to shout that from the rooftops and put it on a billboard because if you just go do the ceremony, right, then you're, you don't have any scaffolding underneath you to to do that processing and integration, which is the goal, as you said. And that's the goal of trauma healing is integration. Yeah. It's not just one therapy. It's not just a Tuesday at 3 PM with your therapist and then you're okay. It's the, yeah, it's the stuff after that. 
So that leads to, is there, I, I want to establish the differentiation between trauma and shame. Are they two different yeah. things? Do they get conflated? Do they get rubbed up against each other and come out the same way? Or is there, is there a pure distinction? I don't know if this is going to make sense because it's just coming to mind and I've literally never thought about it until right now. But you know, um, Captain America, right? Yeah. Super strong. Captain America. He's just, you know, I don't know that much about superheroes, but this is just coming to mind. So I'm going to go with Oh, it. you got a geek on the other side that's going to you know, <laughs> oh, help perfect. you out. Okay, oh, good. Yeah. All right. It's going to be. Talk about shame. It's all going to come out right here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So Captain America, right, is... If we say that Captain America is the trauma response, right? The trauma response is a set of, of adaptive mechanisms in your brain and body that are there to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have the trauma response, we wouldn't survive. So we need it. And his shield is the shame. So I think that they are like, so you, you asked, you know, are they related? Like how, how are they the same? I think that they are, they're almost one because Captain America isn't really Captain America without his shield. But, symbiotic. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, but shame, but, but the shield, now this is where the metaphor is going to fall apart, I think, or maybe not. I don't know. You tell me. Um, know, the, sh the shield is the thing that both protects and then gets in the way of healing. So we, we pull shame in as a defense mechanism. So it's the thing that stands between us and the rawness of the world that the trauma has just revealed, right? Yeah. Um, because what's underneath trauma is this idea that we now can't unsee the way that we are vulnerable in the world, which is a terrible thing. Okay, tell me, does this work? You know what? We're, you're just a hair's breadth, and this is where there's somebody screaming at their at the stereo in their car, right? Going, no, this is like this is total iron. Iron Man is the better right? oh, because okay. Okay. he yes. has he has the arc reactor in his chest yes, that okay. is keeping the shrapnel away from his heart, but oh, also yeah. killing him at the same time. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. All right. There you go, everybody. Just outed myself. Huge MCU, <laughs> MCU geek. That's um. That's perfect because it and it also works because I always use Pepper Potts as the the example of you know people are like, what does the prefrontal cortex do? And it's like it's Pepper Potts, right? She's super yeah. organized. She's super rational. She's got the details down, working memory, all this stuff. That's so it it kind of fits in. Thank you. Oh, this is another podcast where we're going to completely <laughs> dissect all these pathologies and we'll assign yes. superheroes and villains to them. But well, because all of the superheroes and all of the villains, I think we've talked about this before, maybe. Yeah, it's all based in trauma. They all have trauma. They all have trauma. Yeah. There's nobody. So anyways, yeah. so the shame is the thing that I think like we, it, it, it's, it's a coping mechanism. We think it's going to protect us. I know that yeah. sounds irrational, but when, once we put it down, then we actually have to heal. I think it's the biggest boulder in the way of, of actual healing. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, after I came out on that podcast, it was, I did, I felt raw. I felt like mm -hmm. I had molted and it was, you know, I could feel everything. And what was hilarious is that not hilarious is, you know, tragically dark funny is I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose my relationship. I didn't lose right. my family. It was sort of like, well, what the hell is your problem? But I still felt you know, okay, I, 
this isn't a secret anymore. Like I just mm-hmm. told you before we came on that I had a conversation with somebody, a professional conversation where they wanted to employ my services or have me be a part from a coaching perspective. And they had listened to my podcast and they knew everything mm-hmm. and they were coming with more information on me than I had on them. And that yeah. was destabilizing. That was weird, mm-hmm. which is something that, you know, tying back around to what we're talking about is coming to a date with yeah. social media in your back pocket and knowing that person oh, and being yeah. able to do a deep dive on them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's another component to all this. It's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you said the thing though, about the kind of the weirdness of the world. Once you put down the shame and started really like sharing your story, because yeah. we, I don't think we see it this way because we, we, we're so tempted to just put everything in a, in a good or a bad box, right? Shame is bad. So we don't like it, but what we miss then when we look at it that simply is that um, we get cozy with it. And, and when we shake it off, it's uncomfortable. Like it's you, you've spent your whole life expecting the world to react negatively and to tell you that you are bad because of who you love. And so when you're met with the same, when you're met with the person that walks away with their purse, it's, it's, it's going to sound so strange, but it's in a way comforting because it fits your story about the world and yourself. It just, it it just, it just tamped it down like gunpowder in a cannon. It just tamped it down. And, um, and, you know, as you were talking about that, it's very male. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, you know, you, you need to be, you know, you need to be the wounded gunslinger, like walking the planes, yeah. you know, yes. just like, yeah, yes. you, you need a backstory. You need some pain. You yeah. need something that you have to muscle through. Right. And then when you don't, I mean, going one step further, when I started talking mm-hmm. about suicide ideation, that was almost more difficult because that, mm-hmm. that seemed elective. Like mm. the, the sexual identity wasn't elective. That's just yeah, who I was. Yeah, yeah. But the other stuff yeah. was, and then that's like, well, you just need to suck it up. You couldn't, you cracked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all the things that go like that. And I think that that's, that's the, that's the male part. Of, that's the, that's the 20, 21st century male, like, no man, Back suck up. it up. And do you know down. where that comes from? The history of the study of trauma, because when we didn't understand what trauma was, you know, pre 1800s, they assumed because so many people that were suffering with it and going to going to the doctor were females dealing with sexual assault. We they, the whole field of psychology assumed that the only people that could suffer from trauma were women. And mm-hmm. because of the way they saw women at that time to be traumatized was to be hysterical, was to be weak. Hysterical. And then. We it was only into I think it was it was World War One when people started finally realizing like oh men have this too it's not tied to the literal uterus, but they kept that idea of weakness, and we still have that. Like I've done some work with veterans today, where it's like you know veterans from the Iraq and Afghanistan war are still being called hysterical, female, weak, right? And we built like coping mechanisms around that, right? That whole thing of like buck up it doesn't just come from society. That was how clinicians treated soldiers. Oh, yeah. I mean, so pejorative terms associated with female anatomy. I won't exactly. even say it, but yeah, right. stuff like that. Yeah. 
And they would literally, they would, they would stand in a soldier's face. This is a clinician, Louis Yeland. You can look up his, his case studies. He would stand in a soldier and scream obscenities about the soldier's mother to shock him out of his bad character. This was like, this was the practice. Wow. And we haven't shaken that off. And so we assume both male and female, we assume that if we are suffering from trauma, what we are suffering from is weakness of will. And in some cases, I mean, and it's not intentional, but your female partner mm-hmm. will, of you know, course. I need you to be strong for me. I need you to be, yeah. I need you to provide safety. And it doesn't even have to be explicitly demanded. It can be implicit. And it's like, totally. okay, all right. That's, that's probably another one early on in a, in a relationship where it's like, yeah, I'll just keep mm-hmm. this in the closet. Nobody, nobody yeah. needs to know that I'm fighting this. Right. Absolutely. Because I'm supposed yeah. to be the stoic strong. This is how I, this is how I will be attractive to this person. This will how I, this will be how I garner their love and affection. Yeah, totally. And it's, listen, like, it's not that we are all bad people. It's that we, we've, we've grown up, we've come up in this system that views things in certain ways. And so we inherit and embody these beliefs that we don't ever think about critically. It's time to think critically, you know, because we can undo that stuff. And we can think critically as a new couple or, or going into a relationship, what you're, where you're willing to go. Yep. And this thing of like, okay, so the, so the question is like, how do we, how do you do this? How do you bring this into a yeah. relationship? Like you're at the restaurant and you're like, okay, I've got this. Let's pick a thing. What do we want to work with? Uh, the sexual identity, kink or something, you know, something that's okay. associated with shame. You know, it's like, this okay. is who I am in order for this to work. It's gotta be this. Okay. And I've got, so I've got this sexual identity. I've got this kink. I've got this thing that, that I'm ashamed of that I have to share. So how am I going to, to bring that in? One of the tools that I think is really helpful for reframing it as you're in the car on the way to the restaurant is to think about what would the parallel be if you had a biological illness that this person needed to know about? So for example, I have celiac disease, which just means I can't eat gluten. Not really a big deal. I don't control it. I came this way. It's in my genes. Like it's just, it is what it is. I might be like a little nervous about sharing that on a first date. Like, cause the person's going to say, Hey, do you want to share this bread and cheese platter? Cause he's a really hot baker. <laughs> right. Okay. Perfect. Okay. He's a hot baker. And he's like, I brought you this bread. I made it with love. I'm so excited for you to try it. And now I have to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I have celiac disease, right? I'm going to feel something about that. Like I'm going to wish all the way to the restaurant or his house or whatever that I didn't have celiac disease, but Damn I Damn your existence. You just, yeah, you're going to come down there. Too. Yeah. Right. But I do. And I have to then say, I, I, I have celiac disease. I know that's inconvenient. That might be a deal breaker. You're a hot baker. You know, what are we going to do about this? And I think like the the important thing about that is that it's okay to feel feelings. It's okay to wish that you weren't that way a little bit, but it's a fact about you that shame doesn't make even, it doesn't make sense in the conversation. Like I'm, I'm annoyed that I have celiac disease sometimes. And certainly in that case, I would be really inconvenienced by it because I also love bread, <laughs> but 
I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am because I have celiac disease, right? Mm -hmm. We don't draw that parallel between the, the physical and the psychological, but I think that we should because it helps us understand that it's scary and you know that some people might not react well, but that's on them. That's not about you. That that hot baker might be like, you know what? Like I I you're really great, but like I don't really think I can be with someone that can't eat what I make. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't mean I have to now take apart my identity. It just means that what was true about me coming into the date is still true and that this isn't going to work. And the morning after that you make sure that you continue with yes. your journey. And that's where integration comes in. That's yes. where a call to this. support yes. goes. Okay, mm -hmm. this blew up on the launch pad last night. I feel mm -hmm. like shit. I need to talk to somebody. I need to work this out. That is mm -hmm. essential on this whole yes. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go to your friends and you go to your therapist and you go to, because I think the other last piece is that when, when we're doing this stuff, when we're dancing with all of our darkness, we need support systems not a singular support person, right? We heal in community. We heal with therapy. Who can you talk to? Bring it to everyone you possibly can think of because the more you have that conversation, the more integration will be possible. And we have to stop thinking that the only place we can talk about shame or trauma is in the therapist's office because it's false. Expand on that. I mean, I think we, we, we're still doing, it's like a little a little remainder from, from the old bad understanding of trauma that like, it has to be secret. And the only place we can talk about it is in a dark room with our single therapist who will never say anything about it to anyone else. Mm. And I think we do a lot of like interesting cognitive work around that, like making it legitimate, like, no, no, I'm just not trying to burden people. But what is true about healing is that it's a, it's an arc, it's a process and we heal in a thousand different ways right? With people that know that we are trying to heal and people that we don't, you can have a healing interaction with the bus driver, right? You can have a healing interaction with your best friend or with someone in the supermarket who sees you crying in the ice cream aisle and says, Hey, are you okay? You need anything? Yeah. Right? Like it's not, it's not to be hidden. Healing is not to be hidden away. Going back to the very thing we talked about is compassion. Yeah for yourself and to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to put a cap on this. I didn't think, you know, we started in all the darkness and then we're like, let's put a Mr. Rogers <laughs> on it. I, I guess. <laughs> all right. Um, but we're, we're doing the MCU trauma on smart, funny, tortured. I'm like, I'm inspired now. Oh, I love um, it. But thank you. I see. Thank you. No, for, thank you. Uh, all that. This was uh, this was great. And um, and where where can everybody find you? Oh, I'm on Instagram at mcphd e m s e y phd, and um, I have a book coming out in March called Unbroken: The Trauma Response Is Never Wrong, which is already available for pre order anywhere that you buy books. How about you? Um, you can find all about me on smartfunnytorture.com. You can get hooked up with all the episodes of the podcast and all the information about how I coach. And that's it, smartfunnytorture.com. And it's, I will say that the podcast is fabulous. Do yourself a favor and go listen. Thank you. And also yours. You've got one upcoming. You. You've got yours too. 
Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a wonderful day, MC. Thank you. You so too. Much. Thank you so much. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, Zoom links to private gathers. So if you want to join our community, go to singleonpurpose.life. Thank you for listening. Be well. We hope you tell a friend. Hello, my name is Brianna. I'm 26 years old and I have been single on purpose for almost three weeks. Um, So this previous relationship that I was in was a year and a half and it was insecure. And that's like a nice way of putting it. Um, We were both very in love and willing to work on the relationship, but ultimately um, his trauma was just like a lot to bear to where he was, he was, he is an avoidant to the T like textbook and I'm anxious to the T textbook. Um, And ultimately we just fed the cycle of the anxious avoidant dynamic and our relationship ended and this time it was for good. And so we were on like a cyclical thing where we would break up, not speak for like two weeks to a month. And then we would get back together with the intention of communicating better and using tools, reading books together, discussing them. But as soon as like I would bring up anything that was any type of concern, it would turn into a big fight. And then um, he would blame me for majority of our disagreements. And then it would turn into a shit show, basically. (laughs) So now um, this last time, like So not this last time that we broke up, but the time before when we broke up, I read single on purpose. And so I had I was like, okay, I'm going to be single. And then he like reeled me back in. My inner child took over and was like, oh, he'll he'll love me this time correctly. And um, yeah, so I got back with him and then it lasted for about three months and then we broke up. But I always had like this last time I was like, okay this is the last time that I'm going to be in this cycle with you. I don't want to continue to break up and get back together. Like if we're going to be together, we should be together. And then it didn't work out. And so now I, this podcast has come at the perfect timing. I'm also going to reread um, single on purpose just to get a refresher. And I'm realizing during this time, and I realized it in the past before, I feel like the universe is like, okay, Brianna, you need to be single. You need to learn to be by yourself because I've been in a relationship basically my entire life. So my first relationship was 14 to 18, so four years. And then we broke up. And then a couple months later, I met my other ex and we dated from 18 to 25. And then we broke up in 2021. And then I met this current ex-partner two weeks later. Like I wasted no time 
And it was just, when I look back on it, a lot of um, love bombing, uh, moving really fast. Um, I was like so googly eye in love with him. And then it just went downhill from there. So the universe is just sitting there like, okay, like, are you ready to actually face these inner child issues? Or are you going to keep repeating the same cycle? So I want the cycle to end here. Um, I want to break generational curses and I'm committed to doing that now. Like I feel it's a work in progress, but I feel so much more in tune with myself. And I'm at a point where I would rather be alone than be with someone who doesn't honor my growth and honor my intuition and respect what I have to say. And so, yeah, I am currently, I have about six more months left um, of nursing school. After that, I would like to move to Arizona. My soul has been telling me to go to Arizona for about five years now. And yeah, I just want to do things for myself this time. Um, I feel like I've been trying to contort myself to fit into a man's life since I was 14. And before that, because I have had a passive, you know, daddy issues, as they say. I don't really know if I like that term, but daddy issues. And so I'm tired of um, bending myself to fit into a man's life. Like now I want to do things on my own terms. And one of those things is finding a nursing job in Arizona and then work on getting my postpartum doula certification and just doing things for myself. So I'm excited to see what happens. And I thank you so much, you and Vanessa so much for, for one, dropping this podcast and also dropping y'all's book. I'm in the middle of it. I love it already. And I love how you said in the previous episode of this podcast that you're like, well, I better get to work so that I'm at the best version of myself for my future partner. And so that's what I'm doing. I know that one day I will find my partner and um, we will both be willing and respectful and it will click. And, um, but for now, I'm not ready for that. I, it's time for me to date myself. And so, yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for listening.